So my mom on her dying well, she was in last day, and she said, Mahmoud, when I die, I don't want you to attend my funeral. I want you to go to school. So she died the second day. I went to school. I did not see her. But I got this message, and she wanted to be proud of me, and she said, your education, education, education. Thank you all for tuning in. I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Jawala. As most of you will know, they are now in Dubai and going to take over the market. So be sure to check them out. Dr. Mahmoud, how are you doing? Thank you for coming on. And for anyone that doesn't know you, please give us an introduction. Thank you so much, uh, Hamza, for having me today. I'm very glad and honored to, ne- to be part of your uh, podcast. It's really interesting and um speaking to people who are hungry for success and people who want to make a difference. So please keep making difference and keep innovating and keep inspiring people. Thank you. Mahmoud Al-Bur'i, I was born in a refugee camp in Gaza. It's called Jabal Refugee Camp. It's the largest refugee camp in uh, Palestinian territories. Uh, so as a refugee, I was born uh, at that time, 1983, with uh, little opportunities to be someone who's influential. So if I go back and I remember these days, being born in a refugee camp uh, and uh, disconnected from the rest of the world. So what is the opportunity you have? Nothing at that time. But I, with my family support, we decided to invest in my education. So I uh, used to study day and night till I finished high school with the highest rank among my peers with 99 0.7% at that time and I thought it's over now I will get a scholarship but I was uh, I I had a wall of despair and frustration I could not get any opportunity my family cannot afford uh, teaching uh, tuitions and education tuitions for me and my uh, brothers and sisters so knocking on all doors uh, I received a call all of a sudden from Dubai uh, informing me that the ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, uh, heard about my story and he is interested to sponsor me and bring me to the UAE. And so within a few hours, I received my visa and came to Dubai and I joined the American University in Dubai with uh, little English at that time, so barely speak English. Uh, I found it difficult to be in American University, but I again, I uh, hardship makes you stronger and this is what I uh, at the end of the four years of university I became the valedictorian and achieved the highest rank among my peers again I gave the graduation speech and on that day I was offered a job opportunity by the ruler of Dubai and uh, my journey of education continued so with five master degrees and one doctorate back to American University in Dubai as a professor now I work in the government of Dubai in the land department, real estate industry. Uh, started my own NGO in Geneva on refugees, camps and dreams. Uh, doing many other stuff with NGOs, with UN-related entities. Uh, so uh, this is me in a nutshell. Amazing, amazing. And, uh, you know, there's so much that we can go into. Let's start with um, the beginning. So let's talk about Palestine. Because obviously we, especially in the UK, I, I guess we... We get some sort of information that comes across, but we don't know how credible it is. We see on social media and the media outlets, obviously, we don't know how much of it is true and what is false. Um, so for someone that grew up um, in that environment, what was it like firsthand as a, as a child? Wow, yeah. I mean, taking me back to my childhood, I, I don't remember uh, any interesting stuff happening apart from, you know, despair and frustration and uh, very crowded camp, 150,000 people living in less than one square kilometer of land, very crowded uh, homes with zinc on the top, uh, very traditional, uh, no places, no official playgrounds in the camp, no... Uh, Nothing to do apart from schooling. So go to school and come back. 
and all you hear about is uh, your neighbor was shot, your family member was shot or was jailed or all you hear is bad stories uh, and people start to lose hope. But this is the only thing I really uh, did not lose because I said uh, there is a way out of here and there is a way uh, to be successful person and it's education. So I cannot overemphasize on education, education, education. So studying day and night, even Hamza with little access to electricity. I remember a lot of times electricity was disconnected. So how do I study? Uh, I still remember the kerosene lamp and I still smell it uh, and studying day and night just to make sure that uh, you can get out of this uh, cage. You can call it cage because it's a disconnected place. You're not connected. And people always, what, what makes it even worse is that people always listen to the story that's not told. Uh, so they, they listen to a story that's not coming from the victims. They always listen to a story that's biased. So stay, uh, living there in Gaza in a refugee camp, I can't tell you there are thousands and thousands of young people with no opportunities and a lot of them lose hope. And this is the only thing we don't want people to lose. Uh, so in uh, Arab region, as you know, 25% of youth don't have job opportunities. So without job opportunities, without hope, what are the options left? Not so much. And a lot of youth decide to be extremists and decide to go to the other side, which we don't want. So um, refugee... Being a refugee, I mean, I always advocate for that. Like being a refugee should not be looked at as a risk. We should look at refugees as assets. And when I came here to Dubai, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in details, uh, you find out that living such ba- uh, such harsh times make make you stronger. So we need to welcome crisis. We need to welcome hard time because this is the only thing that makes you more resilient, anti-fragile. You become a person who does not give up easily. You become a better person in school, in university. You become a better person at work because you're used to all kind of hardship and working under pressure. And hope, hope, hope was also another thing that uh, uh, I think was instrumental in my success story. That's amazing. And 1983, you said you were you were born in 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 the refugee camp. How do you see the differences now we're in 2022? Has there been much of a difference? Well, I, I, the camp itself, I went back uh, several times. Uh, it's really getting worse. Maybe at my time, uh, there were more opportunities for youth than now. But Gaza itself is becoming a present. And uh, people there have lost hope. And they feel that they're victims of the international community and there should be more care towards them. And they should be given an opportunity of, uh, you know, uh, having their own state. They have their own future with no job opportunities, a disconnected place. You don't have options. So the only thing people think about there is to leave, go somewhere, get in a ship and in the sea and you may die, but it's fine. You take the risk. So thousands of them leave and they try to go to Europe because that's the only way that they find. Uh, it's illegal way, but they do it because this is the only hope they have. They leave their families, their kids with a, an, with a hope that Europe will give them a better opportunity. So um, economically, it's really worse than my time. Socially as well, you find that People are even health-wise, there are a lot of, you know, I don't want to call mental issue, but stress and distress has impacted the social relationship. And uh, some people even think of committing suicides and so on. So, uh, and this is, what, again, I come back to the issue of hope. When you lose hope, then you have nothing to do but the last choice, which is always bad choices. Um, so uh, it's it's not really it's not it's it's worse than the time I was there. Mm-hmm. And when you were there, you mentioned that there was about one hundred fifty thousand people within one kilometer, right? Yeah. And you obviously rose above that. So what do you think made you so different in you know having that desire, having that hope, having that belief? Was it the fact that your parents were teachers? 
was it you know just embedded in you because i'm always you know curious i think when you see someone who has been able to get to the other side it's always interesting to see what what actually allowed them to get there compared to everyone else that either doesn't survive or maybe just chooses one of those bad paths that you're talking about i think it's a combination of two things hardships and hope so uh I'm always positive and this is something I'm very very yani, lucky to have even at a young age at a young age as well even any time I'm into a, f- a crisis I always imagine myself out of it and I let's let me work hard to get out of it so I'm always positive and positivity is something we need always to keep even in hard time the second thing is being brought up in a family with teachers my dad my mom they always uh, inspired me Mahmoud the only way to become a different person and to support us, support your community, is to invest in your education and become the highest. So I, I had a dream from six years old that I, when I'm 18 years old, I want to be the highest in high school and my name will be there uh, in the radio and everyone will know that Mahmoud is the, is the highest in the high school. Wow. And this is the only way for me to get a scholarship and this is the only way for me to go and get educated somewhere else and become ambassador of my people. So I always had that hope from the beginning. I want to tell my story. I want to tell the story of a lot of uh, people who don't have uh, maybe a chance to tell their story. And that's why I remember in the university when I gave the graduation speech in the American University in Dubai, and Cherry Blair was there. She was the main, the main keynote speaker. I told him my story. I was born in a camp with no hope. So I've decided to keep the hope alive. So uh, even I still remember in the graduation, I told them uh, in, in Palestine, we have a saying about olive tree. You can burn it, you can uproot it, but the root always reappears. So I always kept my uh, hopes alive. It's not easy, but this is how you should do. I mean, the only other option left for you is the bad options, which I don't want to, to pursue. So I had that dream that I want to be a better person. I want to not only help my family, but also my community. Uh, so when I came here to Dubai, I kept this hope and I kept this dream. And also my mom, before she died, she, I used to take care of my mom. She had a cancer and I, my dad wasn't was in jail at that time. So I had to take care of my mom when I was seven, eight years, my, my brothers and sisters and even cook for them. So it wasn't easy life. So my mom on her dying well, she was in last day and she said, Mahmoud, when I die, I don't want you to attend my funeral. I want you to go to school. So she died the second day. I went to school. I did not see her. But I got this message and she wanted to be proud of me and she said your education 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 so i don't want you even to waste one day attending my funeral and losing from education side wow so all these things you know uh, you just feel like you have no option to fail the only option because if you fail there's so many people looking high at you they will fail with you so my dad my family my neighbors and that's why when I came here and I finished my university and started working, yes, okay, I'm working in the government, I teach at the university, but I said, no, I want to do something different. And that's why I started my NGO, Camps and Dreams, going to refugee camps across the globe, talking to talented refugees. I've seen success stories. I've seen innovation. Refugees are not risk. Refugees can be great resources. So all these things, you know, and I still have that energy and this is what makes me stay up at night and this is what also uh, wake me up early morning to think about how much I can do, how should I do more. Uh, enough does not exist in my dictionary, impossible does not exist. I believe in the good nature of a human being. We are good in nature. We just need to communicate with people and tell them that there are thousands, actually there are millions and millions, 20 million refugees worldwide, right, that need support. So, um, and they can be great resources. A lot of success stories in the U.S., 
Fortune 500 companies, half of their founders coming from immigrants. So look at them as uh, as resources, like look at them as uh, human beings who are looking to build a better life for their families, but also for their communities. Um, so this is my message to all young people listening to me today. Uh, not to lose hope. Lose anything but not hope. Lose money, it's fine. Lose your job, it's fine. Don't lose your uh, your hope because that's the only energy that will keep you moving. And welcome crisis and talk to yourself. I used to talk to myself. This is an opportunity. This is a crisis, but embedded within this crisis is a great opportunity. This is what will make me, this is what will take me to the next level. So even you will find me in a very stressful situation, I'm laughing. Not laughing because I'm happy but i'm laughing because i see me out of this crisis i see myself out of this bad situation uh investing in so many things maybe you'll say why so many degrees why because i feel like i want to be an exceptional leader who has a helicopter view who looks at how all these dots are connected i don't like to think as a government no, I want to think as a government, as an educator, as an NGO, as a private sector, as a refugee, as a privileged, as a non-privileged person. So being throughout all these different hats really give you a very honest uh, opinion about how things should be. So when I talk about uh, the refugee crisis, I talk about it being myself a refugee, I talk with full confidence that I'm just one example, but there's so many people and refugees who are successful. They're pilots, they're engineers, they're great scientists. So let's give them an opportunity. Wow, I could listen to you all day. <laughs> what an amazing story. So um, when you... when Okay, so you had the... The ability to know that you wanted to go down this education path and that it was going to lead you through and I think through your story I can see that you have this power of manifestation almost you know you you believe something is going to happen before it happens um, so when you got that call from Dubai what did that look like and were you shocked by it like what, what was your reaction well it was shocking to tell you the truth this is the first international call I ever had in my life <laughs> So, and it's the strange thing is that it was in a Lebanese accent we're not used to. So I thought maybe someone is joking, you know, someone trying to make fun of me. Yeah. So calling, saying, this is Mahmoud Ibrahim. I said, yes. He said, I'm calling from the American University in Dubai to tell you that His Highness Muhammad has sponsored you to do your education. So I could not believe it at the beginning. And, you know, you just feel like, not losing hope was a great, I mean, and knocking on all the doors. And here I'm not saying you stay doing nothing, wait for opportunities to come. No, you knock on every single door. And the story of how we reach UAE is also a strange story. I mean, I was next to my dad. He was reading a newspaper and there was an ad in the newspaper, Red Crescent of UAE, and there was a fax number. I love fax machine <laughs> and I'm very sad it's not there anymore. So my dad said, Mahmoud, this is an interesting uh, organization, the UAE. Why not we send them a fax telling them your story? So we, we knocked on every single door. So we send this letter to this fax number. But you never know. When miracles happen, they happen. So a lady saw my fax. She read it. She shared it with the president of the American University in Dubai. He was meeting Sheikh Mohammed on the same day. So wow. when you want something to happen and you keep working for it, God will make the whole universe work for you. So uh, it was. It wasn't, you know, something um, understandable. I mean, I till now, I, I mean, I, I, I don't really get it. How come uh, such a letter makes such an impact, and you are brought to Dubai by the number one person and the leader of uh, this place? It wasn't. It wasn't really uh, easy. You know, to understand. But uh, I think uh, analogy here is that we keep doing our best. So even if we don't reach today, we will reach tomorrow. If we will fall down today, we'll wake up. 
after one hour. So we may fall down many times, but the idea here is always to wake up and try again and try again. So uh, hope does not, does not, uh, uh, I would let's say, uh, losing hope is not an option. So we always have to keep hope alive. Mm-hmm. So even going to refugee camps in Gaza, in, in Jordan, I've visited several refugee camps. You know, you can see all refugees you, may, you meet have dreams, big dreams. I've seen people who want to be doctors. I've seen refugees, refugees who want to be engineers. So um, the only message I give them is never lose hope. That's the key. So what was your first encounter like with, with the ruler of Dubai? I mean, you obviously were in this environment where you've got so many people around you, poverty and destruction, and then you get this call. Um, what happens next once you get the call and you had that introduction? What, what was that first encounter like when you actually met the, the ruler of Dubai? Because now you mm. work so closely with you know, the whole Dubai government. Yeah. Well, I, when I came to Dubai, I remember, you know, and this was the first time, you know, I see skyscrapers coming from <laughs> refugee camps. See this. Uh, so uh, the university sent me a car to pick me up from the airport and I was looking all the way right and left. Where am I? I have no idea in a place with no relatives. You don't have family members. You don't have a mobile phone. You what year was this, by the way? This was 2001. 2001, okay. And then uh, reach AUD, American University in Dubai, and everyone started speaking to me in English, and I have no idea what they're talking about. And I started, you know, to feel homesick. And, you know, it wasn't easy. But I said, look, this is an opportunity. This is what you've been working for. So you need to make uh, your family proud of you. And also Sheikh Mohammed, because he invested in you and he trusted you. So the first time I met with him, 2001, and at that time, Bill Clinton was the keynote speaker in the graduation of 2001. So when I met, when I met Sheikh Mohammed, he told me, you got number one in Palestine. I want you to be number one at the American University in Dubai. So I said, wow, what a burden now on me. I mean, I barely speak a single word in English. How do you want me to be? I mean, talking to myself, to be the valedictorian of AUD. So in that uh, day... Bill Clinton gave the speech and then the valedictorian gave the speech. And then when she was talking, I saw myself in her place. I said, four years from today, I want to be in her place. But the story that I'm going to share is my story. And it wasn't easy, you know, because you need to keep straight A's. You need to have a GPA 4.0 to be able to be the valedictorian. So with a person with no uh, English uh, language skills with no you know uh, first time outside home how do you manage to 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 reach this so i put this as a goal from day one and i said i want to be the valedictorian period and this actually uh, when you when you set the goal you work hard for it and you keep working hard for it and you get it so i wrote my graduation speech Three years before the graduation. Wow. And I rehearsed it many, many times. Like I can, I can tell you what exactly was my graduation speech. So, and then on the graduation day, I mean, giving the speech and in front of everyone, it was on TV. And I was seeing from my place people tears. Because, you know, you're connecting to people. When we... Talk human to human, it's a different conversation. It's not politician to politician. It's a human to human. I've seen also the tears of Sheikh Mohammed, the tears of my family. I was hoping that my mom would be alive and attended, but I was also, uh, she was in my mind all the time when I was giving the speech, and I was telling myself, this is the time you should be proud of your son. And I was also sending a message of hope to youth in this region, that everything is possible. I'm not connected. I'm not coming from a rich family. But I'm speaking now on behalf of graduating class of 2006 of AUD in front of people. Sheikh Mohammed is proud of me and uh, everyone's proud. And we should not lose hope. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 
it's been really interesting uh, story and I this is why I decided to do camps and dreams and in looking for young talented refugees who can be another version of Mahmoud or a better version of me uh, so yeah wow that's amazing and you 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 prepared your speech for three years I find that so fascinating because not only did you have that hope and you had that dream but you really believed in yourself so how important was that? Because especially in education, consistency is the key, right? You, you mentioned you have to maintain a 4.0 uh, grade point average. And that's, that, that's ha- that happens over a period of time. It's not like, you know, six months or one year. It's, it's a period of time. So how, how did you always believe in yourself and how did you stay consistent? I know you always had that dream, but even in the hardest of days, even when you were here and, you know, just things happening in your life, how did you stay resilient in those moments? Yeah, uh, great question. <laughs> okay. the, 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 I mean, you have a dream. You have uh, people who want you to be successful. And you want to be uh, uh, an inspiration to uh, people of your age. So all these things together make you strong. And you want to prove that. I remember going doing my university... I used to listen to my professors, take the lecture notes, solve all the questions in the textbook. But I also said, where's the best education? MIT. I go to MIT on Google and I Google this course and what kind of teaching they do for MIT students. What are the questions? What are the assignments they're doing? What about Harvard? What about uh, Cambridge? What about all these universities? So I, I used to look for the best education, even... Uh, in addition to what I take in, in university, because I said I want to be in, I want to compete with perfection. I'm not competing with anyone. I want to compete with 4.0. I want to compete with 100 percent. And it's not about you know too much. I'm, I'm not. I wasn't too obsessed with the grades and uh, being the uh, getting 4.0 all the time. Just like maybe people think, oh, this is all about the grades. No, it wasn't about the grades. It's about being the best in this field and getting the best knowledge and comprehensive knowledge and look at the resources beyond your textbook, beyond your classroom, try to see what are the experts are saying, go to YouTube and listen to experts in that field uh, and look behind it. And I, you know, one of the things I was lucky about when I used, even from the age of six years, I used to be presenting to my to the students in the school about anything. So uh, every morning we have about half an hour uh, reciting Quran. Sometimes, sometimes talking to students about how we should keep our dreams alive. How do should we f- fight for our dreams and not giving up? So I was always echoing this message from age of six, talking to people about it, inspiring my friends and colleagues. Everything can be done. Nothing is impossible. Don't lose hope. Always say it can be done. So I'm always, I'm always, and still now, believing in that and also believing in it's not about only me. I also talk to my friends, my family members, and I, I ask them not to give up even if things are hard. So I built kind of positive tone. Part of my DNA now is that everything is possible. And if it's not happening today it will happen tomorrow the day after in 10 years and 15 years it will happen one day and i also believe that we're living for a short time how long we will survive so we need to leave our fingerprints we need to leave a legacy so it's about a legacy it's about uh, leaving something that people always remember you that mahmoud has done this and that and this applies to everyone. We need to leave a legacy. Think of your legacy. Just um, imagine what will people say when you pass away, what they will say about you. I love that. I mean, it actually goes on to the next question that I was going to ask because you mentioned legacy and throughout your conversation, not once have you mentioned success or money, right? And I think so many people, they get caught up on the, especially in this day and age, they get caught up in the materialistic things, in the finances, in the, the perceived success. But it's not about any of those things that mm. were important to you, such as the, the legacy, the, the education, being able to give back. So do you think that it's important to not 
to to kind of avoid focusing on on the money because there are a lot of people that when they have that goal of just the money they never get there mm-hmm. that's a good question and i uh, i really i mean until now n- money has never been a motivation for me and i'm sorry to say that uh, even in my job and uh, i never looked at the money as motivation however money is important for us if we want to run out our programs so uh, i mean because you've seen the complete opposite you've seen severe poverty and yeah. severe disaster and so you know you would think that you had this ambition of okay i want money so that i don't have to be in these situations mm-hmm. but rather it almost seems that it was it wasn't necessary that money was the was the the way to resolve the issue it was yes you need money to survive but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need it to thrive exactly and and i always say money will always come but don't look for it let it look for you so uh uh, when we talk about the sustainability dialogue, we always say that companies should continue focusing on making economic uh, results, financial results. Bottom line is important, but they should look at their social contribution to community and also their environmental impact on the environment. So I take the same analogy on myself. So for me, the most important thing, and actually has been proved by scientists, that the most sustainable sources of happiness are coming from the social side. So even a lot of rich people with so much of money, they're losing in social life. They're not happy in their life. So social, 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 it's, it's a very important aspect of it. Um, money is important. I mean, we should not say, should not look for money. I mean, we should work hard, but the money will come in. God will reward you with this. I mean, but how we use money is also another thing. How we, uh, and I, I, I actually... I came to a conclusion now, I mean, having now running my NGO, if uh, I invested in a private business and I got money, I would have much resources to invest in my social domain and investing in refugees, investing in sustainability issues. So I think uh, we should not also underestimate uh, money, but it should not be the only goal that we, we look for because you may end up, as you said, not achieving the financial results. So... Uh, I totally believe in the uh, importance of having a goal in life. And this goal should not be only financial. You should have your own strategy. I remember from a year when I was 22, finished my university, I uh, started my five years plan and strategy. And you barely find one financial goal. I mean, yes, I wanted to be financially uh, independent, uh, and this is a goal, and it's still till now it's a goal. But uh, the other stuff is that if you look at all these goals, 90% of them are social goals, connections, network, friends. And a lot of people now say, Mahmoud, you have so many networks, so many connections in so many countries, but you're not making money out of them. I said, well, because from the beginning, my goal was not to make money from them. And so now I can even say with full confidence, I can't connect to anyone on earth. Just give me one day and give me a name and I will connect because the connection and the network that I invested in really will get me there. At the end of the day, we will die, right? It's, it's life, reality, we will die and we will not take money with us. What we will take with us is our legacy. So if we lose money, we should not be you know, crying over spoiled uh, milk. So we should always uh, be optimistic that things will be better in the future. So money is never a motivation for me. And however, it's important. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you you finished your, your first degree and you didn't stop there. You, you not only was, you know, that 4.0 you know, being valedictorian, not, that wasn't enough for you. You know, you went on and you did how many, you, you went five, five masters? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So what was the motivation there? Because I know you said you wanted to, you know, try to match perfection and, and become a great leader. But in those moments, you didn't necessarily know where you were going in the future. So yes, you know, you had this thing inside of you where you knew education was important, but a lot of people would have been satisfied at that point. You know, you've done the best you could possibly do, why would you then go and do five more? (laughs) 
Well, I, I know that education, it's, it's should be a lifelong process. It should not end in the, you have a degree and that's it. Uh, you may say that, well, it doesn't have to be an official education. It doesn't have to be a formal degree. Yes, I agree. Totally agree. But for me, because I wanted to be expert in, in several fields that give me a better judgment and a better decision-making process. And being in a government position it's not enough for you to have a degree in policy making. You need to be a person who understands how public communicate and how public appreciate things. You need to look at how the private sector acts. And that's why when I finished the university, the bachelor degree, it was electrical engineering. And then on the graduation day, Sheikh Mohammed told me, I want you to do real estate because Dubai is all about real estate. I said, yes, real estate is aligned with my goals because you know, when I talk about refugees, it's all about building and building homes for them and building future for them. So, yeah, real estate is a great uh, entrance for me. So an engineer, I think like an engineer, structured way. I love numbers. And then I went, I did my master's in real estate from Singapore. Mm. And it was for me the first time I get to know about real estate and money and financing and investment. Then I said, well, I need to ha- dig deeply into finance. So I went back to AUD, American University in Dubai. I did a master's degree in finance. So finance uh, is important part of building a better city. So real estate, finance. Then I went to, uh, I said, I want to be expert in doing research. So I have a master's degree in research. And then I said, how the future cities should be built. I need to be expert in that field. So I did master's degree in London School of Economics, master's in cities. Uh, and doctorate in real estate competitiveness because it's all about competitiveness. Then currently I'm doing a master's degree in uh, Sorbonne on business laws. He said, oh, I'm not uh, very uh, familiar with the... A lot of time, you know, you need a legal mind because you need to look at things uh, with a legal mindset. So I'm doing now uh, a degree in law. At the same time, I t- I'm teaching wow. at the university. So it's not about collecting degrees, believe me. And I, I don't put all of them in my CV because I don't want people to see that I have so many degrees. But the good thing about them is that you d- you connect all the dots. So you bring the finance, you bring the real estate, you bring the um, sustainability conversation, you have your own experience in so many different things. So at the end of the day, the quality of decision-making is better. Also, you can be more resilient. And here we're talking about resilience. So let's say, just let's assume that I lose a job in real estate, then I can work in finance. I can work in, in uh, research. I can work in academia. I can work in many things. So we should not be too fragile, focusing on one area, and this is the only area we work on. We should have multitasking and we should have transferable skills that can be used in any other industry. I'm not a real estate. I'm in cities. I'm in education. I'm in uh, now legal and business law and stuff. So you, the skills of the future are different from the skills of today and yesterday. And that's why we should be ready for the future. The future is going to be riskier, but at the same time full of opportunities. So we need to be... Uh, I always said, I always have a dream that I want to be a perfect person, although this is something cannot be achieved, but a perfect person is a person who's knowledgeable, who's, uh, who has a vision, strategy, long-term, look beyond financial and economic, look to the social, look at the environment, look at engaging people. So I call myself a global citizen because being a global citizen we look beyond our direct sphere of control and influence. We look beyond our geography. We look beyond our uh, limits. And that's why having diverse knowledge in different areas will help you in a better decision-making and also convincing skills. You're convincing me to go back to university. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, amazing. And you mentioned the future um, and what the future looks like. Now, when you came to Dubai, it was... Not what it is today, obviously. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you've seen it evolve. Um, so how, how was that experience for you, seeing more skyscrapers, more developments, being one of the top cities in the world for happiness and, you know, these kind of huge achievements and being so kind of directly involved in the government? You know, how has that experience been? Interesting. I mean, I was in the university and at the same time I was seeing the city being built around me. So I was looking at the city and my dreams in a similar, like my dreams are higher 
the city is is becoming more and more you know uh, urbanized so uh, with zero resources similar to my story with zero resources dubai does not have oil it has leadership it has vision so i always look at dubai story and my story are parallel i mean you don't need to have so much resources to be successful all you need is vision all you need is determination so even the sheikh sheikh mohammed in 2001 he was asked how much you achieved of your vision he said 10% And then a few years later, they asked him the same question. He said, 5%. said, how come? He said, my vision is bigger now. So you, that's Dubai has been always about making things bigger, uh, connecting to people. Now we want Dubai to be the best city on earth for living, for entertainment, for working. We look at how we make it, people happy in life. So happiness, which is a social dimension. It's all about happiness. It's all about quality of life. It's about opportunities. It's about tolerance. We have 217 nationalities living in Dubai, living peacefully. Every, I mean, we have full understanding, working in same organization with 10, 15 nationalities. It's an amazing place for people who want their dreams to come true. There are no limits. They don't look at your religion, your race, your origin. You're giving same opportunities as everyone else. It's only how hard work you put in, you will get back. So, and now this is how Dubai, and this is why the Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, the ruler of Dubai, wants Dubai to be a global city for people who, with the dreams, with ideas, Uh, to come and experiment them. So the real estate industry is 15% of our GDP, so it's an important industry, and I'm very happy to be uh, part of this industry. You know, we are regulating this industry, and we always put ourselves in the shoes of people. How can we make the city happier for them? How we can develop better cities? How we develop better communities? How we make them walkable communities, bikeable communities? How do we put the health of people at the center of urban planning of the city? So all this thinking has been really driving policy changes in the, the city. And recently, in the last two years, post, throughout COVID, we've seen the investment that Dubai did. Dubai invested in, in smart technologies and Dubai wanted always to be a smart city. Sheikh Mohammed said, I want Dubai to be a city that's 24 hours, seven days a week, a city that's hospitable like hotels, a city that's punctual like banks. And when the crisis came, we find everything digital. So real estate transaction was happening while the lockdown was there. A buyer from U.S., a seller from Kazakhstan, finishing a deal in Dubai. So we had the infrastructure, the physical and also non-physical infrastructure. So uh, it's a city. It's became now. It, it's becoming now a dream of a lot of young people, not only from the Arab region but also internationally. I'm included in that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> I love it. I think it's it's such a beautiful city. I mean, every time I come here. It makes me realize because, you know, the whole world look at, looks at London as, you know, such an amazing place. And of course, there's, there's huge benefits to it. But when you come here, you've got the weather, you've got the safety, you've got no crime, you've got developments, you feel comfortable at all times. You know, it's just so many benefits of, of being in Dubai. So um, that's why I wanted to see yeah. your experience in seeing the, the city develop so much. Um, one final question I have um, before we go into you know, what you've got going on now and, you know, what some of the exciting things you're working on currently. Um, you've had the privilege of working with, you know, the royal family and, you know, different kind of individuals within that. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from being around them? Well, it's uh, the most important thing is positivity and vision. So I remember when uh, 2011, the Arab Spring was happening in so many countries and economic situation was not so great in a lot of countries. Sheikh Mohammed invited 100 government leaders to his palace and I was one of them. And we thought that he will tell us about the Arab Spring or about the economic challenges. And he said, look, you have one month. Each one of you has to come with three creative radical ideas change or you will be changed so it's the love of change it's the love of uh, always pushing the limits so this sheikh mohammed does not believe uh, in anything but number one so what i learned from sheikh mohammed and his son sheikh hamdan and sheikh maktoum is always the strive to be number one if you're none if you're not number one then you're nothing so this is really something i learned And I always I strive to be number one in everything I do. 
Uh, and if you're doing something, you need to be the best in it. And also positivity. In the middle of crisis and challenges, you find His Highness happy with positive energy all the time. So this is something also I learned. In the darkest time, you need to be positive and you need to have hope alive. Uh, another thing is patience. So you will be attacked as a successful person or a successful city. You'll always be attacked by media, attacked by uh, uh, people who are jealous of your success. And this is something uh, normal. Even prophets had enemies. So you will always have enemies. If you don't have enemies, you're not successful. So let that not get deeply into you and impact you. You need to take all this as a good indication that you're on the right track. So regardless of how many people try to lead you, to put you down, to destroy you, just take that as a good indication you're on the right track and keep going. Keep going. So what I learned is also keep going. Sheikh Mohammed always used to tell me, keep going and never ever stop. And that's why I finished five degrees and I'm doing more. I will do more. I will never stop till I'm dead. <laughs> that's the only day. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And it's funny because you already had that uh, ideology that you wanted to be number one, that you wanted yeah, to be the yeah. best. And you met people that were also in that same kind of thinking, which is beautiful. Subhanallah. Um, okay. So now you have got loads of things going on in the government. You're working on the NGO. You're working on so many different things. What are some of the things that you're most proud of at the moment? Um, and that you know you've felt the most fulfilled by. As you know me, I am not always fulfilled. I always need to achieve you more. more. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, "What's next? What's next?" There's so many things. Currently, actually, I'm leading the government committee in Capital Club, so working with 1,000 founders and CEOs of big financial institutions. So we started something called Startups for Good and VCs for Goods and Shark Tanks for Goods. So it's about building ecosystem for good. See, I haven't looked at building a system for <laughs> the blockchain or, I mean, all these are great technologies, but uh, linking the startups who are in the sustainability field with venture capital who will invest in them with the government and policy making. So in the capital club that I'm leading government committee, we made it as a testing lab for government policies to talk to the private sector, to talk to public, to community. So you can talk about government 2.0, a new way of government co-governing or co, let's call it, co-creating future with private sector, with NGOs. So I, I work on ecosystems now and I focus on innovation ecosystem. I teach it at the university. I'm applying it in real estate, but I also in other industries. So the major thing that I'm working right now on is the venture capital for good and startups for good. Another thing is resilience. So we've seen that one of the major lessons of COVID is that we need to be resilient, not at the, at individual levels only, but also at cities levels. So I'm part of the government committee on resilience and we're working with the private sector on making sure that regardless of how of crisis that we face in the future, you name them health, environment, economic crisis, we have the right DNA and the right way to make sure that we have a business continuity. So that's another thing. Plus, investing in education so every class i teach at the university every year i teach 150 students i make sure that i convey all these values and messages i always lecture on sustainability you give me a finance course i will make sure there is a sustainability part of it you give me an economics i add sustainability you give me innovation i add sustainability so um kind of breathing and drinking and eating sustainability on a daily basis Back to my family and my kids, my two kids, I always make sure that they are aligned with me as well in the fight for sustainability and getting people to, to uh, I believe, and people should be instrumental in driving the city's agenda. And that's why I'm leading the City We Need Now campaign in the UN and the Middle East. We're talking to people, we're talking to stakeholders, what kind of city you want and how can we reach this and what's needed and where are and this is why you need to be a system thinker you need to have all this knowledge and connection to understand where are the gaps so i understand fully where are the gaps government gaps private sector gaps education gaps youth uh, and connecting all these gaps and building a better system and ecosystem 
So all these things are the things that I'm working right now on. I will work harder on my NGO, Comes and Dreams, and I'm lucky that Expo 2020 Minister Reem Al Hashimi has promised to give me a space in Expo post uh, when it's over to have my NGO in the Expo itself. So I'm going to work more closely with talented refugees, uh, work with uh, a lot of organizations who are doing virtual internship for refugees and uh, and when we talk about refugees uh, this conversation can go beyond refugees to uh, people who are looking for opportunities but we're focusing on refugees but it's open for others so there's so many things I want to do and I hope that I have enough time to finish all of these jobs successfully but at the same time I hope that uh, I leave a legacy and I inspire people to do more. So one plus one is not two, it's 11. It can be 111, it can be 1111, and so on. So we need to keep this synergy. We need to uh, meet with like-minded people and uh, together create a better future. Wow. Honestly, I could sit here all day, but I know you have <laughs> a busy day ahead. So we'll, uh, we'll start wrapping up. One final thought uh, for all of our listeners and, and viewers. I know you mentioned you have two kids, mashallah. Um, so consider that the audience watching now are almost like your children. What would be your final message of something that they should really kind of take on board? Because, you know, we all go through different uh, walks of life. We all go through different challenges. Your challenge is obviously a lot greater than most people that have you know, ever experienced, especially in the Western world. Um, but for the next generation your kids, for example, their challenges are slightly different to the ones that you encountered. Um, so for the future um, and for the next generation, what, what, what would your final message be to, to everyone listening and watching? Well, I will always say life is short and we need to make the best out of it. We need to make sure that we are multitasking we have all kind of resources. We invest in so many resources to make sure that if we lose in one field, we will make it up in another field. Uh, never give up. If you don't have opportunity somewhere, go find it in another where. If you don't have the right skills, go build them, invest in them. With so many degrees, let me tell you that even without education degree, you can excel. And we've seen a lot of success stories so kill all the assumptions don't live with assumptions assumptions can be obstacles so you don't need to have a degree to be successful you don't need to have money to be successful so uh, my final advice is that have a dream and keep chasing that dream it you will reach somewhere you may not reach in a straight way you may have to take right and left and zigzag but at the end you will reach so never give up and always keep the hope alive amazing amazing such an impactful episode thank you so much and i hope you all you guys all enjoyed this episode one of my favorites i think you know i'm really really listening attentively um and yeah thank you i appreciate your time and i hope to see you guys soon thank you so much for your time thank you